Hey, everybody. We want to thank you all who have supported the show. And anybody who is interested in supporting the show can check us out on Patreon. Patreon.com slash xchateau, or you can find the link on xchateau.com. We have over 100 episodes, and by becoming a patron, you can get access to 100-plus episodes. Welcome to X Chateau. X Chateau. The podcast that navigates the business of wine with unique perspectives and insights. With your host, Robert Vernick and Peter Young. Welcome to this episode of X Chateau. Today, we're going to be interviewing Jeff Anthony, president and CEO of Vino Vault, and Jeff Smith, the chief wine officer at Vino Vault. And we're trying to understand the economics and dynamics of the wine storage business. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Hello. Thanks, Robert. I was wondering if you could each give us a brief background in how you got into wine and into Vino Vault. Jeff Anthony, we can start with you. I've been sort of a wine enthusiast for maybe the last 30 years, and I do make that distinction. I'm not a wine expert by any means, but have dabbled in wine for probably the last 30 years of my life. I am a storage expert, however. I've been in the storage business for 35 years, uh, started my own document storage company, and then worked for Iron Mountain after I sold a business to them for about 24 years. So I understand uh, the dynamics of storage really well. And when the opportunity came up to blend storage and wine together, it was just sort of like heaven for me. It was a, a no-brainer, and we are having a blast doing what we're doing. My father was a wine collector long before it was fashionable or popular. He got into it in the early 60s after a, a trip to Europe, and as he made more money, he, he really kind of went for it and was known for his wine collection. And at a certain point, he moved from one house to another and needed some help putting it away and cataloging it. And having grown up around it, I had a reasonable idea of what these chateau names were and how they were spelled and so on. And, and I'm very organized with my baseball cards and things like that. And so I helped him make a wine list. Somebody said, could he do that for me? And with that, I started a company called Carte Duvan Wine Cellar Management in Los Angeles and had clients in 17 states and in China and started a wine storage business that I sold to Vino Vault a year ago, February, that was their first acquisition. And over the course of the next year, I became the chief wine officer because I argued with them that they're not just in the storage business, they're really in the wine business. It's both, right? And hopefully Jeff Anthony is not too stuck in all the numbers and back office that make it not as fun being part of the wine industry and wine business. I've been there. <laughs> been the guy in the back who just has to run the numbers and, you know, the strategy and don't get to enjoy the fun parts. Yeah, you're so right, Peter. Absolutely. So Vino Vault's basic offering is professional wine storage, but it's becoming so much more. Could you give us a brief overview of all of Vino Vault's offerings? Yeah, you know, I think first and foremost, we are a storage company. It's the cornerstone of what we do and getting storage right to make sure that we're preserving wine properly is really job one for us. But as we, you know, start to acquire more and more businesses across the country, we find ourselves with, you know, thousands and thousands of storage customers now. And the idea is, you know, what else can we do to make the experience better for the storage clients? So, you know, things such as consulting for your in-home seller, logistics is really a, a pain point for customers. If you've got multiple homes, getting your wine from point A to point B is sometimes a daunting task. And I think that's where we excel. We also will be implementing a marketplace soon, which will allow our storage customers to buy, sell, and trade amongst themselves. 
this is totally revolutionary. Nobody's doing it. And we think that it's high time, you know, that somebody addresses that need. We find that a lot of collectors end up having things in their cellar that they just don't drink anymore. So the ability to monetize parts of their collection, we believe makes sense. And then Jeff's business, specifically auction advisory, you know, there are cases where people may have purchased a fine Bordeaux 20, 30, 40 years ago, and it's insanely valuable at this point. And so Jeff's mission is really to help our clients take really valuable bottles of wine to auction. And again, it's just another monetization vehicle for us. So vertically integrating the business far beyond just storage is, is very important to us. And just so we have a sense of the size and scale of your business, I know it's been growing rapidly. How many locations do you have? How many bottles do you have in storage? That sort of thing. Gosh, I'm not sure that we've actually done a, a bottle count, Peter. I'm sure it's well into the millions of bottles at this point. We are in seven different locations. We have three uh, here in the Los Angeles market. We have one in Dallas, uh, one in Houston, one in the New York City market, and then one in Denver. Again, thousands of customers, and I, I guess I would suggest uh, millions of bottles. Great. So starting with wine storage, because obviously that's your primary motivation. What are the basic fundamentals of wine storage as a business example? What are the things you have to think about, especially coming from a non-wine storage, but previous storage experience? What are, what are the things you need to think about in terms of like insurance, temperature control, humidity control? What are all those fundamentals that are kind of unique to wine and critical to being successful as a wine storage company? Yeah, I guess I would kick that over to Jeff, but I, I would just say sort of as a precursor, you know, making sure sure that we're preserving wine properly, as I said earlier, is job one. Preserving it, protecting it, the security is super important. All of the temperatures and humidities are super important. And then you sort of get into all the nuance, and that's where Jeff comes in. I, I think that the uh, best practices that uh, Vino Vault is across the board is something, you know, a standardized best practices. Everything that I've seen since they acquired my business that was called The Best Seller, and as we have acquired other businesses, have only been to improve the facilities that we're purchasing. So can you go over some of those best practices just so we could outline them? Temperature control is the first one, but security and the, the kind of racking that we've got. And from there, that grows out to the services that we're offering to people in terms of inventory and consulting on their collections that I don't know that there's another storage facility that has a chief wine officer, for example. You know, So I think that we have those things. But the fundamentals, a cool, constant uh, temperature, a relatively high humidity, but we're making sure that all of those things are at all of our facilities across the country. And what are the general price points of wine storage for the consumer and what does it include? And, th and this could be a range and could vary by location, but I'm just curious if you could give a, a high level like basic package. Well, it, it varies from market to market. And in each market, we are comparable to all of our competition. We're mindful of what they're charging and where we're offering services they're competitive with anybody who's offering those services. So it, it does vary from, from market to market. And how important is access to people's wines when they think about it? Is going in and out or are most people just kind of putting it there and forgetting about it? What are the main drivers for people having availability to their wines? Well, our, our facilities are generally open kind of six days a week and nine to five or 10 to six, something like that. And, and different customers are, are, are different. You know, there are people who park it and never touch it. And then there are people who we see every week. 
So it really depends on the kind of, of client you are. But one thing is that we're offering this full service storage option. With that, you can, using our proprietary software called Wine Owners, you can order up some bottles to be delivered or that you can pick up. And as we're turning on more people to the option of full service, I think that they're enjoying it. You know, that there are a lot of people who like to go into their wine storage facility and rummage around with their, with their bottles and visit the children. But for a lot of people, it's just work. And, and we'd like to take that part of it out. So make it more fun, more enjoyable and hassle free. And, and more people are taking advantage of that. And just to clarify, the full service to define it is it's basically like a concierge service for your bottles. You guys catalog it. It's in the software. They can see it online. They can drop off and pick up by queuing it up in, in, in your software. That, that's exactly what we're doing. And uh, we're turning it on from, from one market to another because we bought different kinds of facilities, some that were more pure self-storage and some that were what we would call a hybrid and that we're, we're offering the options to people now. I am curious like about interesting metrics. Like how often do people actually access their wine or go into their cellar? Is there is there like a regular metric? I'm assuming it varies greatly, but I'm just curious if that's if you have some interesting data points there. I don't, I'm sorry. And again, you know, some people we see every week, more than once a week, and and some people we we don't see uh, over the course of a year or many years even. And that that's something that plays into my advisory services is looking at people who haven't been in a long time and, and where do you stand with this? What do, what do you want to do with it? You have all kinds of collectors. We have seven facilities now. It will be more than that you know, soon. And you have just a wide variety of collectors. So there is, there is no average. Maybe just to add a bit more to what Jeff just said. So private locker, you know, obviously those are the type of customers that we see a lot, right? They could come in daily, weekly, monthly. Those are people that bring in their own wine to their own locker. It's their private space, if you will. Our full service option, which is, you know, we pick it up, we catalog it, we store it, we deliver it back out to you. Those are more, you know, sort of long-term buy it, hold it, sometimes forget about it. So there are there are two sort of distinct users, one private vault and the other full service. Full service is being slowly rolled out to the different markets. What is the split in between those two categories of your users right now? And I'm assuming the trend is seeing full service grow over time. Yeah, I think that's a good question. I mean, I would say we're probably sitting at it probably 50-50, right, uh, private locker versus full service. And yes, the idea is to roll people from private locker into full service. The New York location is all full service. My, my business, the, the best seller, was, was full service, and we rolled that into a, into a locker business. So now it, the wine hotel in Los Angeles, is a hybrid. And how do you think about logistics and delivery of wines? Because that's obviously a, another complicated part of the equation for full service. Um, how do you navigate that? Well, we're, we're working that out in each market. But generally, as people ask for things, we're able to deliver them to them, uh, either at their home or at a restaurant. You know, we're firm on using uh, refrigerated vehicles. And generally, we're just uh, setting it up on an as-needed basis. When we supply logistics for larger moves, people moving across country or moving to new homes. We're, again, we're using uh, trusted sources and refrigerated vehicles door to door and our own people at, at either end of a move. And I'm curious with the 
price of shipping going way up through the you know cost of gas, cost of labor, everything tied into that that extrapolating that into increased shipping costs. How is that impacting the value proposition of remote wine storage? Have you seen your customers slow down in terms of their uptick in terms of moving to full service because of increased cost or related to shipping? We have not seen that. Uh, I don't think that supply chain issues and and uh, general inflationary things have impacted our our business at all. I think that the, the clientele that we have tends to be from the wealthier demographic, less price sensitive, but I haven't seen anybody saying, I don't want any wine because it's going to, you know, our, our delivery costs went up by $5. Nothing of that kind at all. In general, what differentiates Vino Vault from other wine storage businesses? Well, our national reach is that we're now in six markets where we'll be in 10 markets by you know early next year and the ability to do things even just among our facilities would make us unique and i i don't know maybe maybe jeff wants to say what having a chief wine officer does for a company with that many customers in that many locations i think doing acquisitions obviously provides scale to the business but scale also means that you can offer more products and services to your customers and i I think that's what jeff is alluding to right we we not only have an abundant supply of capital right we're a well capitalized business thus thus the reason we're doing all these acquisitions but we also have great expertise around human capital uh, and jeff is certainly one of those people So the ability just to offer more products, more services, Uh, we talk about, you know, trying to make uh, wine collecting more enjoyable. It should be that. And and we want to get it back to where it is an enjoyable process. You know, when you buy wine, when you store wine, at some point, you've got to inventory it and catalog it and keep control of it. The bigger we get, the more scale we have. Again, the more products and services and technology we can bring to uh, the collection of wine. So you mentioned acquisitions as part of your ability to scale and expand the business. I'm just curious, is it only acquisitions or is the base business also expanding organically? Like more customers are coming into the fold for, and more people are collecting wine. Yeah, I think it's both, right? I mean, we are an acquisition company, right? And that sort of is, first and foremost, what we're all about, is acquiring as many businesses as we possibly can. But I will say that the businesses that we buy, the seven that we have right now, the growth characteristics are wonderful. You know, they're growing at sort of 8 to 12% year over year. And obviously, we like that. But acquisitions really is the is the big driver behind VinoVault. How does scale impact the economics of the wine storage business? Well, I mean, I think it in Jeff's case, right, for a business that may have one or two locations to hire a chief wine officer or someone of his caliber would be really difficult to do. You can spread expertise across a much bigger business. You can spread technology across a much bigger business. Again, that's uh, what we talked about earlier with bringing more products and more services to our customers. And really, you can only do that, I think, with scale. As an example, this wine owners program that we have that I, I think that you would probably say is is very comparable to, say, Seller Tracker, which is more of a commercial product, that wine owners would be something that in my, my mom and pop business would have been impossible to really uh, bring on board. But because we have acquired these places in Denver and Dallas and New York, it becomes an integral part of what we're doing and what we plan to do. 
I am curious when I first asked what are the main differentiators, obviously your scale in terms of being someone referrals and things like that, that are all across the, regardless of location or all across the country, how many of your clients actually use more than one storage location or are people usually locked into one specific location? I, I don't think we have anybody who's in two cities at the currently, but, but we do have people who are moving. We have a client right now who's moving from LA to New York and he's going to go from Vino Vault to Vino Vault. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, because and we're actually seeing a lot of movement happening during this pandemic time. The whole job market is is dramatically changing in the, in front of our eyes because of the pandemic. Sure, that's happened. We and we have a lot of people who are moving. We provide logistics for them. I think the people choose their wine storage facility based in the same way that you might a gym or a dry cleaner. You know, location is very important to you. Access. And so I, I'm going back to the acquisitions. I am curious on as you go to make acquisitions, are you looking is it a combination of just looking for a regional scale and growth into new locations? Or are you also looking for new new services maybe that, that existing company is doing that can add value into your larger ecosystem? Yeah, I think first and foremost, it's really about just, you know, putting the appropriate dots on the map. So, you know, we've sized the wine storage industry in North America, which includes Canada, and there's about 135, 140 independent wine storage operations in North America. There's another 30 to 40 in Western Europe. And then there's probably 50 more sort of rest of world. Our concentration really is North America. So the U.S. and Canada. I think in a couple of years, you'll see us poke into Western Europe, specifically the UK. But again, it just it goes back to scale and, and scale makes a lot of sense in the storage industry, whether you're storing documents like Iron Mountain or public storage, which is storing lots of different things. I mean, we appreciate that wine is 100% different than the two companies that I just mentioned. It is all about protection and preservation of really valuable one-of-a-kind assets. But scale provides an awful lot of really nice things to customers if it's done right. And we're certainly on the right track with that. I just thought of a new business line for you, a reality TV show like, uh, what's the the one with the storage locker, Storage Wars? Yeah. <laughs> no, right. right. I'm ready for my close-up. So obviously you said you're a well-capitalized company and, and, and building through acquisition. What do you, in the coming 12 months, like how many more acquisitions do you think you guys will be making? Yeah, I know this is kind of hard for people to get their heads wrapped around. I mean, when I was at Iron Mountain in 24 years, we did over 400 acquisitions. Most of our acquisitions were done in sort of a 10-year period from, say, 96 to 2006. Uh, we probably did 300 uh, of those 400 acquisitions in that 10-year time frame. So, you know, 10, 15, 20 acquisitions a year at Iron Mountain. The team that we have put together, for the most part, have come from Iron Mountain. So that's in their DNA, acquiring and integrating businesses at a, at a very quick pace. We don't expect that we're going to do, you know, 400 acquisitions over the next 10 years, but certainly, you know, roughly uh, 8 to 10 acquisitions a year. We believe that, you know, if we can get to 40 or 50 with maybe 80% of those here in North America and then the balance being in Western Europe, uh, we're going to be in really good shape to provide excellent uh, products and services to our customers. So as you've expanded your services outside of just storage, you've added auction services, helping people figure out which wines to buy and sell and helping them sell it through your platform, which I think is maybe being launched. Why do you think you're best positioned to help your customers do this? I have uh, 20 years of experience in dealing with 
all of the auction houses online and and what were bricks and mortar, but I guess now they're bits and bytes auction houses as uh, as they're holding less of them in person. But uh, these relationships and the accountability that they have with me and that I have with the clients, I, I think is something that for a lot of people who are going into the auction business who aren't familiar with it, and maybe it's their first foray, they don't know if they're getting a good deal. And I can tell them if it's a, a good deal or not, if it's fair, are there alternative ways to sell things? And so I think that my experience does have value to people who are entering the, the marketplace. That and that we handle all of the logistics. You just tell us what you want done and, and we can get it done. You know, we can pull the wine, we can get it set up for, for shipping or pickup or whatever, and, and occasionally save people money on those parts of it. And if you're selling wine to make money, things like shipping add up. And so it sounds like you're working with a lot of the different auction houses. Do you help your customers determine which auction house might be best for their collection? Yes, we do. Having done this for many years, I think that I'm a, a fair arbiter of what would do well and where. And uh, again, I have relationships with, uh, with all of the auction houses and have been dealing with them for such a long time that their top people or their specialists, the heads of the companies, are all on, you know, their cell phone numbers are on my speed dial. And so I know that I can get an answer for people more quickly than maybe somebody who is coming in as customer, you know, number X. That gives people a, a sense of security that they know what they're doing. You know, we're not advocating that anybody sell their wine collection particularly, but if you're going to, we want to get you good information so that you, the consignor, our client, will have good information on which to, to base that decision. And just out of curiosity, there's only like a few major auction houses really in the, in the U.S., like five or six maybe. What are the trade-offs between some of the major ones in your point of view? Oh, that's interesting. I would say that one thing is that there's a difference in the approach to pricing appraisals where one may be more aggressive and another may be more conservative in their estimates. And their, ultimately, their results may be very similar, but one is going to look like they, they really hit it out of the park, and another one may look like, like they just scratched the surface, but the, but the result is the same. And so you might say that the more aggressive one is like involved in a bait and switch, and it's not really the case. And the more conservative one, well, their press release looks great, but in fact, they just hit the, the estimate where the more aggressive one was. So I think that, that there's a difference in the way that they price things. Some places will offer more guarantees or higher reserves or buyout prices. And so we try to tailor our services to what the, the client is looking for. Are they looking to get the last dollar and they're willing to take longer to do it? Or are they looking for a quick and clean payout? People have different things that are motivating them. And I think that, again, my experience in dealing with them and knowing what each place is capable of and where their strengths are helps us provide that information to our clientele in a way that they might not otherwise know. 
And so you mentioned that uh, you would be launching a trading platform in the future for your clients. How is that going to work and how would that be different than selling through an auction house? So the, the real distinction is is probably just price of bottle, Peter. There, there are a tremendous amount of bottles, you know, probably 80% of the traffic trades below, say, 100 to $125 a bottle. And then you get that upper 20%, you know, that should go to auction. And that's really the reason that, that Jeff Smith is here, right? Our marketplace, uh, once it's turned on and we've got all the regulatory hurdles worked out, uh, we'll, we'll only capture sort of that 80% of traffic of bottles that sort of go up to 100 or $125 each. After that, you know, it becomes sort of Jeff Smith's area of expertise to take those bottles to a live auction site. These are kind of like the drink now ready bottles that, hey, maybe I bought too much of and or my palate has changed and but they're not they're not like cult wines or like super, super rare burgundies there, but they're something that are great and probably perfectly stored. And so, you know, one of your other collectors might be interested. Okay, it's kind of that nature. Yeah, exactly right. And so as the storage provider, what are the strategic benefits for the customer in terms of like selling their wine in auction or obviously on your has to be there for on your platform. But <laughs> what as the storage provider, what are the benefits of being the storage provider for for this type of business? Oh, I think for the marketplace, it's speed to market, right? So honestly, once we launched the marketplace, you could literally on a Thursday evening, you know, check five bottles in your inventory that you want to put up on the marketplace. It happens immediately. You could wake up the very next morning and those bottles have been sold to another Vino Vault storage customer, quite possibly in a different state. And you find that there's money in your account to go buy, sell or trade more wine. You don't have the normal, well, the auction won't be for a couple of months and you've got to aggregate it. And then once it's sold, you may not get your money for a couple of more months. It could be a four month cycle from the time that you want to sell to the time that you actually collect the funds for what you've sold, the marketplace is instantaneous. So speed to market, I think, is probably the biggest reason you'd want to use our marketplace. And I'm curious, in, in terms of VinoVault's angle with that, in terms of is uh, on the marketplace versus auction, are there commissions that you are charging or is that part of the overall service? There are commissions. Uh, they are drastically, drastically different than, you know, the auction world. Jeff can sort of talk about auction, you know, commissions and, and what they sort of look like from both buyer and seller. I would just say that they are dramatically lower in the marketplace environment. The service that we offer to clients as an advisory service comes with no additional cost to the client and with no obligation to sell anything. So when either we approach them or, or they approach us, it's, the question is really, where do you want to go from here? Let's get a list together. Let's find out what, what these things are worth in, in the market. What might be the, the best auction house or venue for you to sell this? We deal with some, you know, e-tailers and, and, and other places and, and just find out what, what the best way for you to sell it is with no additional cost and no obligation. So I've, I've been compensated. We've been compensated by the auction houses for the finder's fee, and we're completely transparent with our clients about that. Makes sense. Okay. And in terms of, I'd imagine that if I'm storing my wine there, and I and I want to go to auction. The due diligence in terms of provenance and where all that's coming from, uh, that that seems like a one of the values. I would assume that an auction house wants to come to you to help evaluate the provenance of these bottles. Well, we know that the wine has been properly stored for the time that it has been in our facility. 
and the provenance is, is something that, well, that's another story. Where did they buy it? How long have they had it? Where was it stored previously? But to the extent that we can offer some kind of assurance, we know that it's been stored with us in a temperature and humidity controlled facility for as long as it's been there. Looking at how much data you look at in terms of the wines that are being stored, are you are you seeing trends of information in the wine space about people's buying habits? And, and can you speak to you know how things are moving in terms of what people are buying and collecting and storing? To a degree. This is something that through the wine owners platform, we're really just getting our arms around now. And I think that as we apply this more broadly across our facilities, we'll be able to read the tea leaves and, and see where there are trends. You know, just anecdotally, I'm seeing a lot of people who are moving out of some of the high-end California Cabernets, things like Sinequanon. It, it seems like maybe collectively people's tastes are changing. And so I'm definitely seeing that now. And is this an area as you scale that you're looking to invest more in or acquire a company that is going to focus on you know, using this data as you have millions and millions of bottles in storage to help provide uh, some of those insights? Because it seems like that would be a powerful value add. Well, we definitely see that that's a, uh, something that, that is coming on. And again, we've, we've just brought this wine owners program on and we're, we're starting to apply it across the boards. And I think that there is something to that where we can match our clients. Some are people will be in an acquisitive phase and others in a deacquisitive phase, and hopefully we'll be able to collect them. And we do hope to, to be able to say, look, uh, these things are selling well at, at auction now. You know, if you have them and you'd like to get them appraised, let us know and we, and we can do that. There's just one other thing I'd like to add about the provenance thing. I was a witness for the government in the U.S. versus Kurnayawan. So I'm very mindful about provenance and conditions of, of bottles. And it's something that, uh, you know, certainly as we take things to auction on behalf of our clients that we're very keenly aware of. Right. That's, that's always important. Robert and I being uh, both related to the tech industry, like understanding data and understanding the value of, of that data and what can be done with it. Yeah, and Peter, I, so I would just mention based on what you just said, I mean, we are a data-driven organization and that's, that's the other thing that I think scale is sort of beneficial to us in this regard, right? It's hard, it's hard when you have one or two locations with a few hundred customers to figure out what a trend is. But if you've got many, many locations across big geographies and thousands and thousands of customers, you start to synthesize all that data differently. And that, we think, uh, will drive big benefit to our customers. Exactly. One of the other things outside of data that we're interested in is communities and wine and forming connections with other people through wine. And a lot of storage businesses, particularly in really small places like Hong Kong, for example, storage facilities play a big role in forming wine communities with events and spaces for people to get together and share bottles. Is that part of the Vino Vault DNA and strategy? It is. We've started holding wine tastings and BYOB kind of events at some of our facilities. Our flagship, the Wine Hotel in Los Angeles, we're building out a space specifically dedicated to holding these kinds of events. And we have a, a robust commercial clientele who I think will be very happy to be holding events at, at our facilities. I think that the, these are great for us to get to know our clients, 
and for our clients to get to know us as the new owners of these local wine storage facilities as, as we roll them up. For me, in the advisory services end of things, a casual get-together like that helps to, one, create a community of, of collectors and, and uh, wine lovers, but it also helps me to, it helps to stimulate the conversation of where do you want to go from here? You know, what are you collecting now? You know, have, uh, those kinds of things. And without really having to press very hard on the button, it, it gets people talking about and thinking about selling wine and, and doing different things. So, and buying wine too, you know, where do you want to go from here? So with other businesses that take a very vertical integrated approach to wine storage in episode 75, we interviewed Finfolio where they have a marketplace storage and seller management software together. Then in episode 83, we interviewed Underground Seller, which is a retail business that lets you store 500 bottles for free and also lets you do some upgrades. So how do you think Vino Vault compares to those businesses and what advantages or disadvantages are of this approach? Listen, both of those are, are fine companies. I know Don St. Pierre uh, personally from Vinfolio. I think Don would be the first to tell you that he excels in sort of the e-tailing environment. He's, he's a, an e-retailer. Our expertise is, is firmly grounded in storage and preservation. We believe uh, strongly that that's the way to not only add value, but it's the proper way to vertically integrate your business. E-tailing uh, is transient, right? You have customers that sort of come and go. It's not all that sticky. Storage is is the, the ultimate sticky business, right? Your customers sometimes are with you for 20, 30, 40 years. And so the idea is how can you make the experience of not just collecting wine and drinking wine, but preserving wine over the long term much more enjoyable? And it starts with storage and then it morphs into logistics and uh, could be some e-retailing down the road, uh, auction services, etc. But I think that's the big differentiator between what we do, totally focused on storage, versus what some of the other companies do. And I would just sort of leave it at that. Looking at the world of wine and the world of wine storage, what do you guys think it looks like five years from now? Well, I mean, I can tell you there'll be a lot more vino vaults uh, in the market. But I think, you know, we're, we're seeing lots of things happening just in the last five years. Think about, you know, where we were five years ago, right? There's wonderful technology-driven wine companies that have popped up. I'm sure that, you know, things will be a lot less cumbersome and a lot more seamless as we move forward. Ease to buy, sell, and trade wine. I think that, you know, some of the old regulatory hurdles are, you know, sort of crashing down all around us. And I think that that's going to create lots and lots of opportunity for different companies, number one. But more importantly, I think it will uh, benefit consumers in the long run. So we like to wrap up every episode on a personal note. And we were wondering, what was the most memorable bottle of wine you've had in the last year? And who did you drink it with? It was just recently. It was with Jeff Smith, and I'll, I'll drop a name. Also, John Capon from Acker. I think we drank a 40-year-old Chambertin, which to me was absolutely amazing. So for me, that would be the bottle that sticks out big time. For me, it was a 1995 Chapoutier Le Pavillon that I had on two occasions, uh, both fairly recently. Uh, one was with a, uh, a wine group uh, that this very eccentric guy, Colonel Jerome Limor. I don't know what he's a colonel, what army would have him, 
But uh, he puts on these uh, elaborate uh, wine dinners, and, and we had this at a, a very funny steak place out in Burbank. And, and then a second time, I had it with my group, the Expensive Winos, where I brought the, that bottle. And it's just outstanding. I mean, it, it, maybe that's my flavor, Northern Rhones, and that's as good a one as I've ever had. It's, I mean, it speaks to uh, showing twice in a short period of time uh, very well with both bottles. That's, uh... And it shows the quality of the storage of, <laughs> of those bottles to have them for now 27 years and to be showing so well and how important correct storage and provenance are. We want to thank you both for joining us and sharing your insight into the evolving wine storage business. It sounds like an exciting place, an exciting business segment to watch for the next five years. You bet, Robert. Thank you. And thank you, Peter, for your time. Thanks very much, guys. Don't forget to support the show at xchateau.com or patreon.com slash xchateau. Thanks for joining us. If you loved this episode of X Chateau, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.